Welcome to Speaking of Grace, the weekly message podcast from the Whole Life Church in Orlando, Florida. We're a multi-ethnic, multicultural, and multi-generational congregation committed to our mission of loving people into a lifelong friendship with God. We are committed to our vision of being a church without walls, fully engaged in serving the people of our community. Thank you for joining us as we continue Speaking of Grace. So I have to ask you, um, where were you 20 years ago in three hours? You remember? Yeah, it's one of those events, right, in, in history that if you were alive and, uh, and, and able to kind of grasp things, I'm guessing if you're anywhere um, over the age of 24, 25, you probably remember very vividly exactly where you were. And I'd like to take a minute um, and think about how much the world has changed. Uh, My kids were born post 9-11, and they don't really understand how much the world has changed from that one moment in time. There's so many victims that have come out of that, uh, both on that day and in the uh, 20 years of war um, since then. So many people who have experienced hurt and pain not only here in the United States, but all over the world. Um, So I'd like to take a moment before we get into the sermon, just to take a moment of silence to pray for the victims um, over the last 20 years and to pray for their families and uh, pray for our world. So let's bow our heads and just take a moment of silence. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would be with those who today, their hearts are especially heavy. Those who lost loved ones 20 years ago. We pray for those in the intervening years who have been casualties of what happened. And Lord, we we recognize that this world is a pretty difficult place and the issues are very complex, but the hurt is real. So we pray that you'd be with all those who hurt. Lord, today as I uh, take on the final topic that has been given to me for great questions, I pray that you would speak and you would say what you want to through this message. And we ask in your name. Amen. So, last question in our great questions series. But don't worry for those of you who enjoyed it, like me. Uh, we're going to make a return of this in 2022, so we'll uh, plan on that happening. So start working on those great questions for next year. I have been incredibly impressed with the quality of questions that I've received this year. They've been amazing. So today's question is this. Considering the story of Hagar and Sarah in Genesis version, there's a lot of difficult complexity. For instance, God sends Hagar back into bondage, then tells Abram to listen to Sarah and cast Hagar and Ishmael into the wilderness. Then Paul does a really horrible retelling of this story in Galatians. He makes a point we all like, that faith trumps the law, but then he does it in a way that's resulted in much interreligious strife, gender oppression, etc., Why do all these horrible things seem sanctioned by or even motivated by God? Great question. 
So in order to really get to this, we need to understand the story. And I don't want to take for granted that everybody in this room or watching online for that matter, that everybody actually knows this story. So I'd like to go ahead and kind of go through it with you. And I know that if you ask the question, you probably already know the story pretty well. But And if you've heard the story before, just kind of bear with me and kind of come along with me on this. And if you haven't heard the story, this will be fun because you're going to learn some amazing new things in the Bible. And it's going to be interesting for you. So here's where the story really kind of gets going. It gets going in Genesis chapter 12. Genesis is the first book in the Old Testament. So if you opened your Bible up, if you had a hard copy of it, you opened up, it would be that first book that you would find there. And I would invite you actually to, if you have a Bible with you, this would be a great time to open it up turn to chapter 12 of the book of Genesis. And if you have it on a device, a digital device, that's equally as good. Just uh, open up your device, take a look, and make sure that as I paraphrase the story that I'm getting it right. I'm not asking you to call me out if I get it wrong. You just come tell me later that I got it wrong, okay? So, uh, but go ahead, look it up. Genesis chapter 12, this is where our story is going to begin. There's a guy named Abram, and he has a wife named Sarai. Later on, God's going to change their names to Abraham and Sarah. But I'm, so I'm just going to call them Abraham and Sarah to start off with, just to keep it easy for all of us, okay? But Abram and Sarai is where, where it begins here. So Abraham is called by God to leave the country that he's in. That country, um, um, I'm going to go ahead and tell you is the, is Babylon, which actually has some really interesting implications because what happens many, many years later to his ancestors, they get sent back to Babylon. But that's a story for another time. So Abraham is brought out of Babylon. God says, I want you to come out. I'm going to send you to a place that I'm going to show you. And I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And Abraham has faith in God and he does that. He leaves his country and he starts kind of wandering in the direction that God is leading him. That takes him in in the latter part of chapter 12 to the land of Egypt. He shows up in Egypt, and and an interesting story ensues that I don't have time for. But let's just say at the end of the story, Abraham's eager to get out of Egypt, and Pharaoh is eager to get Abraham out of Egypt. And Abraham is given a bunch of gifts by Pharaoh. He's given livestock. He's given physical possessions. And then he's given something that's going to make all of us in this room, I hope, feel very uncomfortable. Pharaoh gives him slaves. Now, if you have a modern translation, it's going to use the word servants. And I want you to know, I appreciate the people who have done the modern translations of the Bible. I like reading them. I use them myself. But that's not a good translation of that word. The right word is slave. The right word is slave. Pharaoh gives Abraham slaves. And this is the point in the story where we say, this is where Abraham, the man of God, gets to stand up and say, hey, Pharaoh, I want to testify to the truth of God, that there's freedom in God, and we don't accept slaves. So, you know, you can give them to me, but I'm going to set them free and let them go on their way. But that's um, just not the way the story goes. Abraham says, thanks, and he goes on his way. That's the end of chapter 12. Well, then what we'd like to think is that God is now going to have a conversation with Abraham about this. But... uh, what he does have a conversation in Genesis chapter 15, but this is how the conversation goes. He says to Abraham, I am going to make a great nation out of you, and I'm going to turn your descendants into just a numerous people. doesn't say anything about Abraham's bad practices when it comes to being a slave owner. And he says, and Abraham says, well, that's all well and good, but I'm super old. My wife is super old, and you know, kids probably really aren't in the cars. And, and God says, no, listen. I am. I'm going to make a great nation. They make a covenant. What's a covenant? Well, it's kind of like a contract in today's world, but it's actually a lot deeper than that. 
and I don't have the time to get into all the nuances of a, of a covenant, but basically both sides agree to do certain things in a covenant. And, and it's this sacred, beautiful thing. And that's what happens. God promises to make a great nation out of Abraham, and Abraham promises to follow God wherever God will lead and to pass on the knowledge of God to his descendants. So that's when we get to chapter 16. God has made this covenant, and immediately what happens? Sarah and Abraham think, okay, well, God's told us that we're going to create a great nation, so how can we make that happen? Did you catch that? How can we make that happen? And so Sarah says, well, you know what? I have got this Egyptian slave, most likely Hagar, this Egyptian slave, Hagar, was most likely given to Abraham and Pharaoh, by Pharaoh back when I, in, in that chapter 12 incident that I talked about. And so Sarah says, well, I'm going to go ahead and give you, Abraham, my slave woman, because in the culture and context of their time, this was a very common and acceptable practice in their culture and their context. I'm not saying it is today, but what we're saying is, is that we have to look at the through the lens of what was going on in their time and in their place. And in their time and their place, it was not a uncommon thing if a woman could not have children for her to give one of her slaves to her husband, and then the, her husband would create children through that slave, that those children would be considered the woman who couldn't have children, her children. And so that's what Abraham and Sarah do. And uh, here's again a part that we wish that Abraham would have said to Sarah, no way, you're my wife, I'm not sleeping with anybody else. Um, God will go ahead and be good, and he'll make sure he takes care of us, but this isn't the right thing to do, Sarah. But uh, maybe not too surprisingly, Abraham says, so you're saying you want me to have sex with your um, younger slave woman? Okay. I mean, if I have to, sure. And that's, uh, that's, that's a paraphrase, okay? That's a paraphrase, but that's, that's what happened. And so that's exactly what happens. Abraham has sexual relations with, with Hagar. Um, none of this was Hagar's choice. Um, and Hagar becomes pregnant. And shock of all shocks, Sarah's not happy. <laughs> Who could have seen that coming? And um, shock of all shocks, the woman who's been a slave and an object and completely unseen, nobody cares about her opinion, all of a sudden she matters. She's relevant. She's pregnant. She is carrying the child of a very wealthy man, who, and this child is going to carry on this wealthy man's lineage. And so suddenly she... She actually has some worth in life. And she starts kind of rubbing it in a little to Sarah. We can't really blame her too much for that, but Sarah sure did. And Sarah comes to, to Abraham and goes, look what you've done. May the Lord judge between the two of us. Who's right? This woman's making fun of me. You need to do something. And Abraham, here again, we wish that Abraham would be the, the man, right? And really do the right thing. But what does Abraham do? Does Abraham say, look, we kind of probably made a mistake here. Yeah, let's go ahead and talk to Hagar about her attitude. But, you know, um, we kind of got ourselves into this fix. Nope. Abraham's like, oh, I don't want any part of this fight. I don't want, if you, I, you, do, you do whatever you want to do to her. She's your slave. You do what you want to do. Thanks, Abraham. And so Sarah does whatever she wants to do. And she absolutely makes Hagar's life a misery. She's very, very harsh with her is what the Bible says. And I think the Bible probably 
was not getting to the full extent of what was going on. She's harsh enough that we know that Hagar, the Bible tells us, runs away. She runs away from from Abraham and Sarah. And so we say, good for her. Get on that underground railroad and go away. And so she she finds, she she comes to this uh, well, the spring of water that she's at. And the angel of the Lord, the Bible tells us, shows up. And again, this is where we're like, okay, the angel of the Lord shows up. This is good, right? Within Seventh-day Adventist theology, we believe that the angel of the Lord is a euphemism for Jesus, okay? One of the reasons why we believe this is later on in this story, you're going to hear Hagar say that she's seen God and lived. So the angel of the Lord shows up, and there's some other reasons why we believe it. Don't have time to get all into it. But the fascinating part of this is that basically— According to our understanding of scripture, Jesus shows up to Hagar. And this is the point where Jesus says, good for you for running away. Now I'm going to help you get all the way away. I'm going to set you up and take care of you since they were being bad to you. And by the way, I'm going to go back and do a little smiting with them for their their bad behavior. But that's not what the angel of the Lord says. The angel of the Lord says, Hagar, where have you come from and where are you going? And Hagar says, I'm escaping from my masters who aren't being very nice to me. And the angel of the Lord says, turn around and go back and submit yourself to them. What? Jesus, is this the same Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? What are you talking about, Jesus? Go back? That's not where it ends, though. The angel of the Lord says, look, Hagar, go back, submit yourself, but you are carrying a child, and that child is going to become a great nation. He's going to have many descendants. Your child will become significant and important. Now, he's going to not get along with his brothers very well. There's going to be conflict but I am going to bless him. And then Hagar says something that may sound a little strange to you. She said that you are the God who sees me. I want you to hold on to that phrase. At the end of this whole conversation with the angel of the Lord, she says, you are the God who sees me. We're going to come back to that a little later. So Hagar does what the angel of the Lord tells her to do. She goes back to Abraham and Sarah and in the next chapter, what happens is God shows up to Abraham and goes, um, hey, let's go ahead and renew that covenant that I made with you about making you a great nation. And Abraham says, yep, I get it, Ishmael, great nation. And God says, no, that, that really wasn't the deal that I made with you back before. I told you that I was going to make you a great nation, not that you would make yourself a great nation. Ishmael... I'm going to bless Ishmael, but that's not the, that was not what I had in mind when I talked with you before. I was saying that you and Sarah were going to have a child. And that child is the child of promise that I was talking about before that you never came and talked to me about. Again, I'm doing a lot of paraphrasing here, okay? And God renews his covenant and says, you are going to have a child. And Abraham says, well, my wife is too old. And God says, that's, not the, that, that's, that's kind of the point. That's kind of the point but I will bless you and I'm going to bring a child out of that relationship. And that's what happens. At the age of 99, this promise is made to him. And when Abraham turns 100, Isaac is born. 
Isaac is born. Now, keep in mind by this point, when Isaac is born, Ishmael is, is older because Ishmael was born when Abraham was 89 years old, okay? And so what happens when we get into chapter 21 and God keeps his promise to Abraham and Isaac is born, uh, Isaac grows and they eventually have a party when he's fully weaned. So by this time, Ishmael is probably about 15 or 16 years old. And Isaac is maybe somewhere in the three to four year range, maybe three to five, somewhere in there. And um, as might not surprise you, there's a huge party for Isaac, the child of promise. And Ishmael probably felt a little left out, a little overlooked. And so he does what most people do when they feel marginalized. He pokes back. You know, sometimes we get so mad at people for poking us, but the reason why they poke is because we've marginalized them. We haven't seen them. And so at this party, at this party, Ishmael begins to give little Isaac a hard time and woe upon him because Sarah sees it happen. And there ain't nothing that gets more angry than a mama who sees her babies getting picked on. And Sarah throws a massive fit. She comes to Abraham and she says, no, 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 no. You, you do not get to keep that woman and her son around here. My son is the only one who's going to inherit from you. My son is the son of promise. You get rid of those people. And this is the part of the story we wish Abraham would have said, well, then we should have thought about that about 15 or 16 years ago. And we're going to go ahead and do right by these children. And as much as we wish Abraham would have said that, we really wish God would have said that. Because Abraham starts feeling bad and he doesn't know what to do and he talks to God about it and God tells him, do what your wife says. Send Hagar away. And Sarah in her complaint to Abraham, she says, send the slave woman, her son, away. And God says, go ahead and do what she said to do. So the next day, Abraham gets up, fills up a a water jug, gives it to the two of them, gives them some food, and says, the wilderness is that way. It's a hard story, isn't it? Because God endorsed this. And so God, so there go Ishmael and Hagar out into the wilderness. And not surprisingly, it gets hot. They run out of water. And at that point, they think, this is it for us. We're going to die. And they both begin to cry. And again, the angel of the Lord shows up. And the angel of the Lord basically tells Hagar, I haven't forgotten about you. And I certainly haven't forgotten about Ishmael. And he opens up Hagar's eyes and she sees a well of water springing up. And she's able to get them water. Water always in the Bible symbolizes life. And so there's some symbolism that's involved here. It's basically that God is going to provide life to Hagar and to Ishmael. And and so that's how the story ends with these words in Genesis that the Lord was with Ishmael, that he was with him. So that's bad enough, right? But then we get to the New Testament and Paul, who wrote a lot of it, 
in Galatians, Paul does what we would consider a massive no-no in theological circles today. He takes two stories that have absolutely nothing to do with each other, and he makes them have something to do with each other. Hagar and Ishmael have nothing to do in the Old Testament with grace and keeping the law. Keep in mind that they were before the law was given on Mount Sinai. So they, they don't, but Paul doesn't care about that. He just takes and mashes them together. He makes Hagar represent the law given on Mount Sinai. He makes Sarah and her progeny be the grace that God has given us. And he ends his little diatribe in Galatians chapter four with the words, and cast the slave woman out. To which our um, great question person correctly said, has motivated a lot of gender oppression and interreligious strife because people have read that and they said, well, it's okay to mistreat uh, Arabs, Muslims, because we've got to cast the slave woman out. A little troubling, right? I know we came to church for a feel-good moment, right? But I'm just going to go ahead and sit down and you got to figure this one out for yourself. I'm kidding. We'll, we'll talk about it a little bit. A little bit. I'm not going to go... But what I would like for you to stop and take a minute for is this an interesting thing that God, we believe in our faith that God ordained the Bible to be made, to put together. So God chose for you to read this story. Think about that for a minute. So why did God want you to read that story? Doesn't it make him look kind of bad? It certainly makes Abraham and Sarah look bad. Why did that happen? Well, let's see if we can get to a few questions. I want to point out a couple verses to you that I think may help us. The first thing we need to understand is the theme of the book of Genesis. The Bible project suggests that Genesis chapter 50 verse 20 is a succinct theme of the book of Genesis. And this is Joseph speaking to his brothers who had sold him into slavery. Joseph says to them, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Think about the book of, of Genesis. At the very beginning of it, God creates everything in complete perfection. He only asked one thing of Adam and Eve. He says, don't eat the fruit of this tree. What do Adam and Eve go? Well, we're smarter than you. We know what to do. We're going to do that. And that's how sin enters this world. All the pain, COVID, everything that we're dealing with today. That's how it's all here today. They went and did things their way. But you know what? God didn't abandon Adam and Eve, did he? He provided for them. And so the book of Genesis is a story of how humanity keeps making mistake after mistake and how God comes along and time after time redeems those mistakes and brings beauty out of ashes. So that's the theme of the book of Genesis, and that's the way that we need to be reading this story of Hagar. So let's go ahead and take a quick look at this verse. Genesis chapter 16, verse 2. This is when Sarah's getting upset with Abraham. Um, oh, I'm sorry. This is when Sarah is trying to come up with a plan to help God out keeping his promise. So Sarah said to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abraham agreed with Sarai's proposal. Um, Again, New Living Translation is a wonderful translation of the Bible, but it is a more modern one. And, and what that last sentence is, is in a more literalist uh, rendering of it, would be, it would say, Abraham listened to the voice of his, of his wife, Sarah. He listened to the voice of his wife, Sarah. Why this becomes significant is there's one other place in the book of Genesis where it says something in that same phraseology. And that's where it says, and Adam listened to the voice of his wife, Eve. 
So what's that saying? So are we are we making are we saying that women make terrible decisions and men are just poor 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 men being led into you know sin by their wives? No, that's not what this is saying. There's a big point that's being made here. The point is, if you listen to anybody other than God's voice, even the person that's closest to you in your life, if you listen to their voice over God's life, bad things are sure to follow. Abraham, instead of Abraham saying to Sarah, you know, we ought to go pray about this and ask God what he thinks we ought to do. He's like, sleep with your slave? Okay. They don't ask God what God wants. They simply do what they feel like they need to do to help God out. How many of us try to help God out? We'll help you, God, keep your promise. Or we say, well, the Bible says that, but I don't really, I don't know. I mean, really? I don't know. We need to remember that in Abraham and Sarah's context, in their culture, what they were doing was absolutely legitimate. Is it legitimate in today's society? Absolutely not. We look at it and we're like, oh my word, what's wrong with you? But in their culture, in their context, this was absolutely acceptable. So this is the second part that we need to think about. We need to be listening to God's voice above everything else. Now, here's the other part of it. Does God give up on Abraham and Sarah because they go along with what their social and cultural ideas are? He doesn't. He walks with them where they're at and where they're at. And he still is faithful to his promise even when they aren't. That's a beautiful God if you really stop and think about it. You say, well, that's all nice for Abraham and for Sarah, but what about Hagar? What about her? Well, let's take a look at, at this verse in Genesis chapter 16, 13, the one that I told you I wanted to come back to. Thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me. She also said, have I truly seen the one who sees me? What I want you to do is we often read the Bible through our own lens and we don't put ourselves into the shoes of the person that's actually there. Or we do put it, but it's through our lens. What I want you to think about is this. This is a woman who is incredibly marginalized. She was never seen. She was a slave. She had no choice over her life. She's marginalized and completely feels unseen. But when she gets done with her conversation with the angel of the Lord, with Jesus, what does she say? I feel seen. Was she upset with what what Jesus said to her? She's not. She actually feels seen and cared about. You say, well, how could she feel that way? Why would she, I mean, he's sending her right back to be with Abraham and Sarah. Well, there's a couple things we need to probably think about. We probably need to realize that a single woman alone by herself was probably not going to survive very long. It wasn't going to happen. In those times, in that place, it wasn't going to happen. Something bad was about to happen to her. Being pregnant made her ineligible really to be married to anybody else. And if she wasn't able to be married to anybody else, there was no way for her to make an income. And so for God to send her back to Abraham, who had plenty of resources, who would be able to take care of her, was actually a loving thing to do. It also meant that her son was actually going to grow up with a father. I want you to hear that. Her son was going to grow up with a father. Was he the greatest father? Well, I guess we say Father Abraham a lot, so... But... 
can we just also just take a moment to be real? Abraham was a flawed human being. We so many times take the characters in the Bible and we make them the heroes of the Bible. These aren't the heroes of the Bible. These are villains. And that's the point the Bible is trying to make. The hero of the Bible is God. The hero of the Bible is a God that comes alongside of villains like Abraham and Ken and says, I'm going to work with you anyway. I love you. I am going to, my grace is sufficient. You're going to keep making mistakes, but I'm going to keep being faithful. Okay? So let's not put these people on pedestals that they don't belong on, that they would never have wanted to be on. Let's just admit they're human beings like me and you, and that's the, what the Bible's trying to say. If God can be faithful to them, then God is going to be faithful to you too. God is faithful to Hagar. He sends her back. Her son is raised with a father. And and God has promised to make her the mother of many nations. This is the biggest gift you could have given a woman in that time and that place. To say, you are going to be the mother of nations. And so, how does Hagar feel about God? She feels good. I feel seen. I feel cared about. So what do we do with the fact that God agrees with Sarah sending Hagar and Ishmael off into the desert? Well, let's think about the age that Ishmael was at. In those times, at that age of 15 or 16, you were a man. You were capable of taking care of people. And so when God acquiesces to what Sarah is asking, why does he do it? Is it because he wanted Ishmael to leave? No. But did he also recognize that that household was going to be absolutely split in two? There would be no harmony. There would be no peace. As long as those two were together, he did. And so I believe that God felt like it was in Ishmael and Hagar's best interest to be separated away. And what does he do? He provides for them. It ends with saying that the Lord was with Ishmael. God never abandoned them. Abraham and Sarah, they might not have been faithful, but God was. God stayed faithful to them through it all. I mean, think about how hard it must be for God to have us mess things up and then he gets blamed for the messes that we make. When he tries to bring good things out, and sometimes, can we just be honest? When we mess things up bad enough, it's pretty hard to bring something good out of it. And yet God finds a way every time. It's not the the greatest thing on earth because we have been messing it up. But God comes along and he takes those broken pieces and he puts them together the best that, that is possible. And that's the God we serve. So what do we do with Paul? Insensitive Paul, who says, send the slave woman away to end this passage in Galatians 4. He says, the son of the, this is where I want you to really hear what Paul's really saying. This is the message that Paul's really trying to get across. As, um, as Peter said, Paul said many things that are hard to understand. And that people use in bad ways. That's what Peter says about Paul's writings. But Paul says this. The son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. But the son of the freeborn wife was born as God's own fulfillment to his promise. So what we need to understand is the point that Paul's making. Not the point he's not. Paul's not trying to degrade Hagar. He's actually throwing shade. He's actually throwing shade at Abraham and Sarah. He's saying, don't be like Abraham and Sarah. Don't go about trying to fulfill God's promise in your life by keeping the law and thinking that's going to earn yourself salvation. Rather, 
Understand that you can't do it. Just like Abraham and Sarah could not have children, you can't keep the law the way that you need to. You need to depend on God and his grace to help you do what is absolutely impossible on your own. Did he say it in a way that I wish he'd said it? No. I wish he would have said it a little bit differently. I wish he would have been kind to a woman who had already been pretty well abused. But Paul was never one to let niceties get in the way of making the point that he wanted to make. And in the story of Hagar, he saw a story that he felt could mash into that message of not being a slave to the law, but taking the freedom of grace. And so that's what he used. In our culture and our time, it's painful. In Paul's culture and time, it made a lot more sense to them because of where they're at culturally. So the takeaways from today, what do I want you to take away? I really want you to take away that when we, like Abraham and Sarah, try to use our own ingenuity to solve our problems, instead of listening to and trusting God's plan, pain and suffering for ourselves and others is very often the result. We are flawed. God is not. God is good. God is able to redeem our mistakes. God is faithful to Hagar and Ishmael while still remaining true to his original plan. Is our creator worthy of love, respect, and devotion? When I look at the story of Hagar, I have no doubt that Hagar would say, along with me, he is. Hi, this is Randy McGray, podcast producer and host here at Whole Life Church. Loving people into a lifelong friendship with God is our mission at the Whole Life Church, and our podcasts, Speaking of Grace and its companion, 15 with Andy, Randy, and Jeff, are designed to help facilitate conversations that help us grow together in that pursuit. Now that you've heard the message for this week, don't forget to check out the Whole Life Takeaways for this message. Swipe up in today's show notes and join the conversation. Speaking of conversations, each Wednesday morning we take a closer look at the week's message. That's right, the one you just listened to. We discuss practical ways to apply spiritual lessons and ask honest questions about the issues we face as Christians. All focused through the lens of grace. Your voice is a welcomed addition to that conversation. We encourage your thoughts and your questions by sending a voicemail or text to 407-965-1607 or send an email to podcast at wholelife.church. You can find everything podcast-related on our website, wholelife.church slash podcast. And plan on spending every Tuesday evening and Wednesday morning with us as we bring you the Whole Life Church inspiration you love straight into your headphones. Thanks for listening and have a great week.